Then you can go ahead and uh, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 16 through 21 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you, and uh, it's on page 1108. So the last few weeks I've been starting out with a question, and so it just seemed like a good thing to keep doing that. So uh, three weeks ago I asked if you had ever run out of gas, and two weeks ago I, I asked you when is Jesus coming back. Last week was probably the most important question. What must you do to inherit eternal life? This morning I ask another question, and that's what's really important? What is really important? What do you ultimately trust in? We're going to explore that question as we look at today's parable, the parable of the rich fool. That's in Luke chapter 12, 16 through 21. So um, follow along with me as we read Jesus' words. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells this parable while speaking to a crowd, responding to a man who wanted him to arbitrate an estate problem. And Jesus responds by asking the man why he should be the judge in the matter. Then he warns his audience not to be greedy, then tells the parable. It seems to be a pretty straightforward lesson, but it's probably a little bit more complex than we give it credit for, especially as we look at the context in which it's being told. Um, let's look at that context first. Uh, in chapter 11, Jesus is condemning the religious leaders for their hypocrisy and for rejecting and, and killing God's messengers. And in chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus warns the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees. He says, Be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They had, in, they had placed all their emphasis on externals, on the physical, on the temporal, in Matthew 23, 27, he condemns them for being whitewashed tombs. They're dead and, and rotten on, on the inside, but they've, but they've covered it up with nice-looking rituals and, and rules. But Luke 12, 2 says there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. Chapter 11, Jesus talks about how the Jewish religious leaders always persecuted and killed God's messengers. In chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid of those who kill the body. A physical and, and temporal issue. But instead, they should be afraid of God, who can not only kill the body, but has the power to cast their soul into hell. This is a spiritual issue. It's an eternal issue. 
Then he reminds them that there will be a final accounting when we die. Tells them not to be anxious for their life when these, these prophet killers drag them into court because the Holy Spirit will guide them and give them the words to, to say to defend themselves. Then in verse 13, similarly out of the blue, some guy in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 13 through 16. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to the man, but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them the parable. So it kind of seems like this guy tells this, or asks this question out of left field. Something that was totally unrelated to the context. Jesus is going along teaching, and all of a sudden this guy just stands up and shouts this, this question. Even Jesus' reply seems to, to give this impression. Man, who made me a judge or, or an arbiter over you? In our language, it would be maybe something like, dude, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Are you, even paying, are you even paying attention? Do you think I'm here to, to take care of your petty problems? But I think it's actually very related to the context. Almost as if Jesus had set this up. He, almost as if he had planted this guy in the crowd to, to ask this question just so he could tell the parable. Uh, of course, it shows us this man had not been paying attention to what Jesus had been talking about. The man's question illustrates the very thing that Jesus was speaking about. He was worried about physical, temporal things, not the eternal. He thinks if he has more money, more stuff, that he'll have an abundant life. This, man, this man's question revealed a problem of the heart that Jesus had been speaking against hypocrisy and greed of the, the Pharisees. The truth is, even if this man did receive a larger inheritance, he would still hunger for more and more and more and still not be satisfied. He will find his life meaningless and wasted in the end. So Jesus tells the crowd, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist the abundance of your possessions. And he tells them the parable of the rich fool. Rich man who is blessed with a, a bountiful harvest. As he considers his situation, he, he makes plans for the future to, to build greater and bigger barns to store his crops, to retire, to enjoy the fruits of his, of his labor for many years. Yet God tells him he's a fool because this very night he will die and his soul will be required of him. And the things that he has, well, who will have them then? So there's some things for us to notice about this man in the parable, the rich man. First thing is, Jesus calls the man a, a rich man. The man in the parable was already a rich man before he received this abundance of, of, uh, of crops. He already had enough for himself. But this year he had a bumper crop. 
Isn't that always the way it is? The rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't condemn this man for being wealthy. He doesn't condemn him for being wealthy. He doesn't even condemn him for having a bumper crop and making even more money. That's important for us to recognize. See, the problem is not wealth. The problem is not wealth. The man was not a fool because he was rich. He was a fool because of what he did. Because of what he did, that was his foolishness. The first thing that we, we notice about this man's foolishness is that he is selfish. He's selfish. So what does he do with the surplus? Verse 17 says, he thought to himself. He thought to himself. In that culture, everyone went, everyone went to the city gate to discuss everything. That's where, that's where all the elders would hang out. And so if you had an important decision, you would go to the city gates. And you would talk with the elders. And they would give you advice. You'd get counsel for your decisions. But this man doesn't do that. So we get the impression that he, he has no friends. No relationship with anyone. He's only concerned about himself. He's isolated himself. He says, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now notice the emphasis on I and, and my as he reasons to himself. I'm going to go put all this money that I have in the bank. Then I'm going to kick back and I'm going to relax. I've got it made now. And he gave no thought to anyone else. He foolishly decided to hoard it and spend it on himself. Now it is biblical to plan and prepare for the future. Proverbs 13, 16. A wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. Proverbs 30, 24 through 25. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. So it's, it's, it's a, a biblical concept. It's a, a good thing to think of the future and to plan for the future. But the rich man stores up for himself. He makes no mention of sharing it with anyone else. He doesn't even consider how, how he could help others with this bounty that he received, those that are in need around him. No consideration for, for the widows or the orphans or anyone but himself. He wasn't looking out two or four others. He was only looking in to himself. This newfound wealth exposed a selfish heart condition that is all too prevalent in the world that tells us to live our best life now. Get yours. Enjoy life. Do it while you can. You need the, new, the newest and the latest and the greatest. Like the leaven of the Pharisees, when, when that attitude creeps in, it will begin to grow and spread and corrupt everything, leading us further and further astray as we begin to chase 
after those things, those things that we have, have convinced ourselves that will bring us happiness or bring us peace or security. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with her income. This too is meaningless. Selfishness ignores others and focuses on getting what we want. And it can lead to many other sins when we become selfish, when we become uh, inward-looking, when we look not out to others, when we look only to ourselves and what's important for us, getting what we desire can lead to so many other sins. Cain, jealous for God's approval, murdered his brother. He wasn't concerned about his brother. He was only concerned that he felt offended. And so he murdered his brother. Ahab. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. It's a beautiful vineyard. Oh, I'd really love to have that vineyard. It's a nice vineyard. So his wife Jezebel murders Naboth and then gives it to him. Ahab was ecstatic about it. Didn't even give a second thought to Naboth or his family. He got what he wanted. He allowed this man to be murdered so that he could get what he wanted. David. David murdered a man to selfishly satisfy his lust with Bathsheba. That's how far selfishness can take a person. The rich man had no concern for others. He was selfish. And he was ungrateful. Not only did this man have no thought of blessing others, he gave no thought of where the blessing even came from. See, Satan would like us to think that we have, what we have is, is only because of, of our efforts to be self-sufficient. You want it, go out and get it. You can't depend on anyone but yourself. You worked hard. You deserve it. Reward yourself. Isn't that what the world tells us? Right? You deserve it. Just do it. It's all because of you. So when, when good things come, it's because we deserve it. I worked hard. It's because of what we accomplished. Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, Satan wants us to be ungrateful. Think that we can earn what we have. Because then it's easier to dismiss the free grace of God. See, if we earn things and we receive things because of our efforts and our hard work, then we don't need grace. We don't need grace. I deserve grace because I'm a good person. Or, or we can go the other way and say, well, it can't be that easy. 
I have to do something to earn this. See, Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care which one of those lies we believe because they both keep us from experiencing the, the, the true grace of God. See, the rich man foolishly thought he was responsible for his success. He didn't recognize that it had come from God. So he wasn't thankful. If you're not thankful, then that makes you ungrateful. And that's foolish. The rich man's foolishness was also seen in his perspective. His, his focus was on the present. Verse 19, he says, I have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. The rich man lived as though he had many years to live. This is all there is, so enjoy it while you can. He had laid up good things for himself, and he would start to enjoy them now. He had no concern for others. He gave no thought about God. With no eternal perspective, his life was completely focused on the temporal, on the here and the now. His goal was to, to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he was concerned about. He was only thinking of his self-indulgence in the here and now. Thought with his new barn storing up mountains of wealth, he had, he had everything completely under control. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. I'm on easy street. He had his wealth, and that's all he needed to be happy. He trusted in his things to bring him security for the future. The future was his, so he thought. Just when he thinks he's set for life, God brings a, a dose of reality. But God said, said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. And then to add insult to injury. And the things that you prepared, the things that you've been saving, all of your stuff, who's going to have them now? See, this man had made a fatal flaw. He had forgotten to put God at the center of his life. Concerned for no one but himself, when the time came around to stand before God, he was nothing more than a fool. He had counted on material wealth to sustain him, but God would take his life, and then what good would that do? He would be gone. Someone else would be enjoying it. We often forget how fragile our lives are, how, how quickly things can change, right? Right? We have far less control over our lives than we think we do. James warns against our presumption that we are the ones in control. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, the Lord wills we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. 
all such boasting is evil. He was trusting in himself, his plans, his treasures, for his life, for his future. He hadn't prepared for eternity, and that was his most foolish mistake. That is what is truly important. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What does that mean? Why, why is it so important? The rich man's foolishness prevented him from seeing what was important. One of the, things, the important things he missed was the need to bless others. The fool spends all their time storing up treasures for themselves, and the, the turning point is for, for whom the treasures are being accumulated. If it's for yourself, then the evils of wealth will be turned loose. Greed, selfishness, ungratefulness, lust, murder, so many others. Hoarding money without compassionate giving demonstrates a selfish heart. The antidote for that is to use, to use what God has given you for his glory and for the benefit of others. 1 Timothy 6 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Acts 20.35 says, more, It's more blessed to give than to receive. 1 John 3.17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's law abide in him? See evidence. It's the evidence that we are changed people. It's important for us to use what the Lord gave us to bless others. That's why he gives us those things. We've talked about that before. To look beyond our own needs and to look to the needs of others. It's important for us to recognize everything that we have comes from God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything that we have comes from above. He wants us to enjoy what he gives us. He, he loves to bless his children. I mean, what parent here doesn't love to bless their children with something? He wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy what he gives us. Ecclesiastes 5.19 And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. He gives us those things. He wants us to enjoy those blessings that he pours out on us. He wants us to enjoy the health that he gives us. It's a gift to accept our lot in life, what he's given us. So we can give glory to him. He loves us. 
Our ability to work and accumulate wealth comes from him too. Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. He is the one that provides you the power to get wealth. You think that you are the one that does it? It's only because he allows you to. You think that you are smarter or better than somebody else? No. It's because God chose to bless you in that way. He chooses maybe not to bless others as much for his reason, for his purposes. But make no mistake, the blessings that you have is not because you deserve them, not because you're dandy, and God just looks at you and says, well, gee whiz, they're so, they're so great, they deserve all of this great stuff. We forget who we are before God, don't we? What do we deserve from God? Nothing but wrath, eternal damnation, right? He chooses to bless us, to give us the ability to earn money, to, to have and, and build wealth. That's not you. We need to remember, we need to remember that and thank him. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Be thankful. Honor God with what he gave you. And then, and then he will give you more. If you're faithful with the blessings he gives you, he will pour out even more on you. Not because you deserve it, because, but because it brings him glory. You can't outgive God. Malachi 3.10, try me and see if I don't open, out, open up the storehouses of heaven, right? It says we remain faithful with what he blesses us with. As we use the things that he gives us for his kingdom, for his glory. He blesses that so that we can do more to build his kingdom, to bring him glory. It's not so you can buy a, buy a, 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 a cabin in the woods or a, or a cottage on the lake and, and go retire. It's not what it's for. It's to build the kingdom. It's to bring glory to him. We need to be thankful. The rich fool did not understand that his prosperity was a gift from God. He forgot that he was a steward. He thought that he owned it all. And that stopped him from being rich towards God. It's important to thank God for his blessings. But the most important is to have an eternal perspective. People who are rich in this way love God and are filled with a passion to obey him, to serve him, and to give to others. Treasures that they may gain in this life can be gladly handed back over to God to use to further his kingdom. Those who have that eternal perspective, who recognize this is not mine. I'm a steward. God gave me this blessing, not because I deserve it, 
but so that I can use it to glorify Him, to build His kingdom, to bless others, to draw others to Him. People who have that attitude, that eternal perspective, have no problem letting go of their possessions because they know it's not theirs. Matthew 6, 19-21, Jesus says, Do not lay for your, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Amen? The location of a person's treasure reveals the true condition of their heart. Reveals the true condition of their heart. Reveals whether they have love for themselves and their possessions or, or love for God. Whether they worship material things or they worship God. Whether they seek fulfillment in this life or in the life to come whether they store up treasures on earth only to lose it forever or store up treasures in heaven and keep it forever. Don't put your emphasis on material possessions because they don't last. Like, the, like attending a funeral and, and asking, well, how much do they leave behind? How much do they leave behind? What's the answer? Everything. They left it all behind. You don't take anything with you when you go. Only the things that are done for the kingdom last. Those are the only things that you take with you. That new Cadillac, guess what? It's going to be sitting in the driveway. That beach house, going to be sitting on the beach waiting for the next hurricane to come. That tractor, that new gun, whatever it is, whatever it is that you spend your money on thinking that this is, this is going to, to bring you fulfillment, it all remains here. And eventually that Cadillac is going to rust. Transmission is going to go out in it. It'll eventually get towed to the junkyard, sold for scrap. The only thing that lasts is what's done for the kingdom. The people that you reach, the souls that are saved, that's the only thing that lasts. When you get to heaven, nobody is going to walk up to, up to you and say, whoa, you know what, that car that you had, I remember it. Wow, that was a fancy car. That was nice. Man, I, am so, I was so blessed when I saw you driving through town in that car. Man, that truck you had, that big one-ton diesel, oh, beautiful. Every time I saw you go by, wow, my heart was just overjoyed. No. I remember you. I remember when I was in the darkest pits of despair and you came to me. You shared 
the good news of the gospel with me. You share with me how, how God got you through the same thing. Show me that I could have hope for the future. You led me to Jesus. Because of that, I'm here. I'm here. That's the only thing that lasts. What's done for the kingdom. If you define life in terms of money or possessions, you leave God out of the definition and you will end up bankrupt in the end. What counts is your relationship with God and what you do for him. Remember Jesus said in 12, Luke 12, verse 9, just before the parable, he who denies me before men shall be, shall be denied before the angels of God. If you deny me in this life, if you live this life as if I don't even exist, well, guess what? I'm going to deny you in the next one. You want to ignore me? Fine. Because one day, I'm going to ignore you too. The rich man made at least four mistakes, thinking he was the owner of his stuff and when he was just a steward. We're just stewards of our stuff. He was worried about the present. He forgot about eternity. He was only concerned about the physical and he forgot about spiritual things. He treasured his stuff more than people. He lived an isolated life. This parable tells us how to define life. What's important? Most people define in terms of material possession, physical fitness or the future. This parable speaks loudly to our generation. Have you been defining life in terms of material possessions, physical fitness or the future? Your career, your house, your stock portfolio, your 401k. Is that where you are finding meaning of life and security for the future? Or in the terms of what you can do? Or what you can't do? Is that what defines your life? Well, I can do this. I can do this. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Or the other side of that, I can't do anything. I used to be able to do that. I can't, I can't do anything anymore. This life's just not, it's not worth it. My life is pointless now. Or do you define your life with the assumption that you have you have a lot longer to figure that all out. I've got time to figure that out. You don't know that. You don't know that. Are you trusting in things? What's going to happen when you lose one or more of those things? What happens when you get laid off? What happens when the stock market crashes? 
happens when you, you get some injury or some illness or some disease that, <clears throat> that takes away your physical ability? What happens when you find out you only have six months to live? If you define life on these things, you'll be devastated. See, having possessions is, is not wrong. <clears throat> it's putting your security in them that is wrong. The rich man was not condemned for being rich. He's condemned for being selfish and self-centered, for not using his surplus to help others and for leaving God out of his life. In 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 22 through 31, <clears throat> Jesus bookends this parable that started by addressing greed, by addressing something that's some, somewhat related to it. See, <clears throat> when God's word was written, it wasn't written with all of these chapters and verses the way that we break it all up. We've broken it up that way to help us. <clears throat> but this all would have just flowed right together. And so Jesus starts off by addressing greed, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, trying to put on a show and, and trying to find satisfaction, justification, fulfillment and rituals, and rules, and, and then he bookends it with, with this, something related to that, anxiousness. Sometimes we greet, we're greedy and we hoard things because we want to make sure we have security for the future. But Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious about the f future. Luke chapter 12 22 through 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Your life is more than food, and your body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small as thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Instead, seek his kingdom, and then these things will be added unto you. What are you seeking and trusting in? 
temporal things, things that can be gone as, as quickly as they come, or eternal things, his kingdom that will never pass away. Seek and trust in him, and then he will provide all that you need. You won't have to worry about a storehouse. He has the storehouse. You don't need to put those things up. He already has them. Seek Him. His kingdom. If you make that the focus of your life, that's your perspective. You have an eternal perspective. Following after Him, He will provide all those other things. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to make sure you get your share. Jesus, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. I need to make sure I get mine. Follow God. Seek Him. He will take care of everything else. I am with the same question I started with. What is really important? What are we trusting in? Jesus started with a question too. Who made me judge over you? Man, who made me judge over you? The ironic thing is, we know Jesus one day will be judge. And it won't be over an earthly inheritance, but a heavenly one. And so when you stand before him and he judges you, what will you be trusting in? What will be your claim? I hope that you put your hope and your trust, your future on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Because everything else, everything else, as the hymn that we will close with says, everything else is seeking sand. How foolish to put our trust in anything but Him. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, again, we come before you. We thank you for your words to us. As you recognize the, the condition of our hearts. And your words probe. And they expose the areas of our life. They reveal our true motives. The true intent of our hearts the perspective that we have, what we're putting our trust in. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to, to learn the lesson of the rich fool. To recognize that everything that we have, everything that we have, comes from, from you, comes from heaven, comes from above. It's not because we deserve it, it's because you love us and you choose to bless us with those things 
So that we can bring glory to You and bless others. So that they may be drawn to You as well. Pray that You would help us not to trust in our things, but to trust solely on Jesus' name. May we build your kingdom in heaven and not our own here on earth. Lord Jesus, I pray that the only inheritance that we will truly care about is a heavenly inheritance. May we trust in nothing else but Jesus Christ. Amen.